we've been going through this letter from the Apostle Paul. You know, in the, in the Sunday school class we have uh, beforehand, we've been going through Philippians, which is a, an epistle. It's an, uh, it's an epistle of joy, joy, joy. We rejoice. We rejo- well, believe me, First Thessalonians is a big-time competitor on the joy level because Paul has been rejoicing in the Thessalonians. I have seen evidence. Paul had Paul and Silas and Timothy had gone first to, to Philippi. And the gospel exploded there. They established that God, Lord used them to establish that. Then they got thrown into the jail. And they're in stocks and they're in chains. And they're in these jails. They're behind locked doors. And uh, they're giving praise to God. And I would dare say everybody in that, uh, in that prison is hearing them. Praise God. Wait a minute. These guys are praising God for the same kind of suffering we've been enduring all this time. Why have I not been praising God? Because it hurts. <laughs> this is not a good situation. What insane kind of insane men are these? And there's, then there's an earthquake. And all the doors fly open and everybody's chains fell off and the stocks fly open that are holding the feet of Paul and his companions. It's kind of an unusual outcome of an earthquake. Doors flying open and chains falling off. And then the jailer assumes everybody has fled and Paul has to stop him from throwing himself on his own sword, committing suicide. Stop, stop, stop. We're all here. Even the other prisoners. were. Why? Because God had done a work as those men listened to the worship. Do you suppose there might have been a Holy Spirit moment in those other cells? Or at least angels holding them in place so they wouldn't run away? (laughs) But then the jailer and his whole family are swept into the kingdom that night. And then Paul and his companions go to Thessalonica, start a work there. And again, there's a riot. And Paul and his companion, and so he's looking back. But as Paul and his companions, several months or so afterwards, as they're going through Greek and Macedonian towns, and they are coming into a town they've never been to before. And so far as they know, the gospel has never penetrated. And they start to explain, oh, well, we've heard this before. Those fellows from Thessalonica came and told us about this. And they go to the next town. Oh, well, we've heard this before because those fellows from Thessalonica. Could you imagine being Paul and Silas and Timothy? How joyful are you that that... Church God used you to start over here is having such a powerful impact on all the surrounding communities. I mean, you've got to be absolutely, to use an old-fashioned word, gobsmacked (laughs) over what God has done. And as Paul writes back to the Thessalonian congregation, that is a big part of the joy. A whole chapter is taken up with the joy that they have, but also the joy in what God has been doing through them in succeeding times. So he's been talking about the joy, but he's also 
as we saw last week, he also deals with them about the reality of their need to walk in purity and hold themselves, understand that when they came to faith in Christ, God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, as Paul says, the Spirit who is holy took up residence in you. Therefore, you have a responsibility in the care of your own vessel in which dwells the Spirit who is holy to care for your body in a way that is appropriate for the fact that it is a vessel of the Spirit for the Spirit who is holy. Therefore, you need to stiff arm sexual immorality and the misuse of your vessel, which is your body, the residence of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't, you will have an issue with God <laughs> on a level you don't want. That's just, Paul kind of leaves it there. Then he goes on, beginning in verse 13, to talk to them about an issue that has arisen. Because one of the things that Paul and his companions expressed to the Thessalonians and emphasized with the Thessalonians is a word that they had learned, they had heard from, that had come from the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why we earlier read from Matthew 24 and 25. The Olivet Discourse. Jesus is in the temple with his apostles, and they are ooing and eyeing about, oh, Lord, look at this, and look at this. It is a magnificent building. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple that is in Jerusalem. They had spent a fortune turning this into an incredible edifice. And the apostles are so, and of course, as Jewish patriots, they're loving every bit of this. And Jesus basically says, well, don't get too excited, guys, because it's all going to be knocked down. There won't be one stone left on another. What? Okay, we're surrounded. The, the temple is packed with people. Uh, maybe we shouldn't discuss this here. <laughs> and so they, when they get out to the Mount of Olives, they ask him, when will these things be? When, it, when are these events going to take place? What will be the sign of your coming? They know he's Messiah. The triumphal entry has just taken place where the thing that he had been telling them, yes, you know this, but don't say it, but now say it. This is the Lamb of God. This is the Savior. This is the Messiah. They've been declaring it. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When will these things take place? And he lays that out in chapter 24 through about verse 35. He, he answers their questions. And he could have stopped right there and they would have said, okay, fine. Because he just answered their questions. But beginning with where we began our reading in uh, Verse 36, Jesus gives them information that they didn't ask for. <coughs> Which, by the way, is unique to Matthew. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have the Olivet Discourse. 
But the material you find in Matthew 24, 36 into chapter 25, which is an extended section, is unique to Matthew. With, except for the one thing in Mark and Luke, they, you need to be watchful, you need to be watchful, but that's much more expanded in Matthew and Matthew's rendition. Well, clearly, as we're going to see, Paul has been exposed to that teaching. Notice what he says in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now, I'm going to turn you all into Greek scholars today. Okay, can we do that? I'm going to teach you two Greek words because there's two different Greek words that are both translated with the same English word. That's one of the problems translators have is when the languages don't match up perfectly. Well, the word here that's translated asleep, those who have fallen asleep, is the Greek word, say it with me, koimao. Say it with me, koimao. And koimao means actual physical sleep or physical death. It's used in a metaphorical sense for physical death. Well, that's clearly how, people, how Paul is using it here. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep, who have died, again, koimao, in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, who have died, physically died. Now, what's he saying here? Apparently, Paul, Timothy, Silas, when they were with the Thessalonians, they taught them about, as we're going to see, and he's going to use the term caught up, they have taught them about the promise of our Lord that that day is coming when two men will be working in the field, one will be taken and another left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, another left. As it, and it'll be just like in the days of Noah. There's no judgment going on. It's just life as usual, life as usual, life as usual. All of a sudden, boom, a part of the human race just disappears. And they have taught the Thessalonians that. And they're, they've told them, hey, at any time, we don't know when it's going to happen. Jesus can yank us all out of our sandals. And now off we go. Well, in the meantime, since they were there in Thessalonica, and they've gotten communications from the Thessalonians since then, some of the Thessalonian congregation have physically died. And so they're wondering, wait a minute, wait a minute. We know what expectation we can have for those who are of us who are alive at Christ yanking us out of here. Well, what about those who are authentic believers who have died? And so Paul is filling in that misunderstanding, that gap in his teaching, or they weren't listening, clearly. But he's filling in that in. Again, verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep, those who have died, koimao, in Jesus. Why? Because their physical body goes into the ground, 
but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, the Scripture says. So the minute this, our spirit leaves our body, we're in the presence of God. Conscious presence of God. The conscious presence of God. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord. What's he saying? There's nothing in the Hebrew Scriptures about this. The, by the word of the Lord. What word of the Lord? what is recorded in Matthew 24 and 25. The word of our Lord Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede or have a, an advanced position over those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Now, I don't know if everybody else on the earth is going to hear it, but we who are going to be caught up, we'll hear it. There will be a great voice like a trumpet. And by the way, in the book of Revelation, you find that incessantly about Jesus speak. It's like a trumpet, like a trumpet, like a trumpet sound. Like the voice, the powerful voice of an angel. And we will hear that voice of Jesus that sounds like a trumpet. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who, are, who have died, those authentic believers who have died, their body will be yanked out of the grave. Now, I don't know if we're going to see... <laughs> I don't know what that's going to look like, but their bodies will be pulled out of the grave and rejoined their resurrection bodies, their incorruptible bodies will be rejoined to their spirits slash souls that have been in the conscious presence of the Lord and they will be standing there in, the in resurrection incorruptible bodies. By the way, we're going to need incorruptible bodies. We're going to need bodies. Stand in the presence of God. You better have a body that cannot be burned up. They cannot be, because the presence of God is that. Over, you're, you're going to need that kind of a body. By the way, that's so he can bless you in, immeasurably without messing with you. <laughs> is that, how much does God want to bless us? Well, I want to bless you so much, I have to give you a resurrection body so you can stand the blessing. <laughs> I'll take that. Hey, yeah. Again, verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, because Jesus has already told us that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede, will by no means precede, take precedence over those who are asleep, those who have died physically in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, that's the sound of his voice, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive... And remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, most of you have heard the term rapture in reference to prophetic events. Well, rapture is just a Latin-based word that means to be caught up. Now, you've heard, you may have heard the term like enrapture. Oh, you're, you're going to a concert and the music is so great. You're caught up. You're enraptured in your emotions. Well, you're caught up in your... Well, this is a physical catching up. We will be caught up, two will be working in the field, one will be taken, caught up, and another left, two women grinding in at the mill, one will be taken, caught up, and another left, 
That's where we get that verse right there is where the concept of rapture comes from. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort, fortify one another <coughs> with these words. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, when is this going to happen? You have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. How do they know that? How is that? Because Jesus said that in Matthew 20. It's recorded in Matthew 24. What we're going to see is Paul is going to repeat in order exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 24 and 25. What's the, very, what's the application Paul gives to them when he tells them, as in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, when you will be caught up. But you need to know, I'm coming when you aren't expecting me. Just like, why do leaders of, owners of households put bars on their windows? Why do they put in place security measures because there are thieves out there and thieves do not send you a postcard ahead of time telling you when they're going to show up. So you are ready for them because they're going to come at a time when you are not expecting them and so you place those security measures in place. You are watchful. You, you, if you're an owner of a large household, you, you give people security responsibilities to be watchful. Because Jesus is going to come like a thief comes unexpectedly. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Why? Because you've already gotten the information. It was, came from our Lord Jesus Christ. And while we were with you, we related to you that Olivet Discourse. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night, as our Lord Jesus says, recorded in Matthew 24. For when they say, peace and safety, oh, let's all just take a nap, then those, that we don't have to worry about anybody sneaking in, burglars coming in, uh, eh, bad idea. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. You want to be ready. You want, and just as Jesus says of that servant who was placed over the household while the master went into a far country, and after a while, I don't think my master's ever coming back. You know, that ship he went on probably sunk, or, so I can treat my fellow servants just any old way I please. And by the way, he's actually showing himself to have been disloyal from the beginning. He appeared to be loyal, but he unmasked himself by his later choices and behavior as having actually not been a loyal servant. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. What happened to that servant when his master came back? Cut him in two. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness 
so that this day should overtake you as a thief unexpectedly. Do you know when he's coming? No, but you can be ready for him whenever he does come. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. Even if you're in a dark environment, even if you're in a dark culture, a dark spiritually, you still are sons of light. You are. You have received that great work of mercy and power into your life that gives you eyes to see even in the night. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep. Now, here's that other Greek word for sleep. And I'm going to say it, and then you're going to say it with me. Kathudo. Kathudo. And it means actual sleep. Or it's a metaphor for spiritual or moral sleep. People who are morally asleep spiritually asleep unaware so it's a metaphor for that and that's how it's being used here you are not you are sons of light and sons of the day we are not of the night nor of darkness therefore let us not sleep kathudo be morally spiritually asleep as others do let us watch and be sober now, here we're stepping into the final portion that I read to you from the beginning of Matthew 25, where you've got the ten virgins that are all supposed, their job is they're invited to the wedding feast, and the wedding feast doesn't begin until the bridegroom comes. And so they're actually sent out there to be the ones watching for the bridegroom so that they can alert everybody inside. Okay, he's coming. Everybody make sure everything. And what do those ten virgins, five of whom have oil, which is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit, five of them are authentic and five of them are not. They don't have oil. They all look the same. They all behave the same. They all do the wrong thing. They fall asleep. They're all supposed to stay awake. They all fall asleep. But even if the, the ones with the oil, even though they sleep, which they shouldn't be doing, they still find a welcome in the kingdom. They still find a welcome at the wedding feast. The others who have no oil, which is kind of a weird narrative because it's in the middle of the night. when the, it's, it's midnight when the bridegroom comes and the ones without the oil say, hey, give us some of your oil. Oh, well, you go to, go to the marketplace and uh, how many people are out there selling oil for lamps in the middle of the night at the marketplace? It's too late. But even those, those five who ha slept but had the oil, they still were welcomed in. Should they have slept? No, none of them should have slept. And what does Paul say here? Verse 4, but you, brethren, are not in darkness so that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep, which was the point Jesus was making in that, as others do, but let us watch and be sober, see things as they really are. That's what sobriety means, see things as they really are. For those who sleep, 
sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, see things as they really are, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Incessantly do the things that you are called to do by our Lord Jesus. Don't imitate that knucklehead head of the household that thought, oh, my, my master is never coming back. I can do whatever. No. Keep doing what he's called you to do. Put on the breastplate of faith. Keep walking in faith and love. Be servants of one another. And as a helmet, the hope of salvation, of deliverance. And Paul, by the way, almost always uses the term salvation in being delivered into the kingdom. He uses the word justification as a synonym for our redemption. He uses the word salvation in almost all of his letters. If you look at how it's used in the context, it's always about stepping into, almost always about stepping into kingdom glory. And so he is using it here. Put on, put on your head the hope, the expectation of the ultimate coming of our Lord and bringing us into the kingdom. For God did not appoint us to wrath. The people who would be left behind are appointed to wrath. But to obtain salvation, deliverance through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, what are we supposed to be? Awake. But even if we're asleep, if we are authentic believers, like those five virgins that had the oil but slept, we shall live together with him. But stay awake. <laughs> stay awake. Therefore, comfort, fortify each other, and edify, build one another up with these words. Keep doing that just as you also are doing. Paul rejoiced in this congregation. He could authentically say, I've gotten word. I've seen the evidence. It's everywhere of your incessant, powerful, consistent walk with our Lord. Here's this little thing that you didn't get when I was there, either because Paul had failed to be clear with them or they simply hadn't been listening with large enough ears. But he gives them this encouragement. Christ is coming. He is going to catch us up into his presence at an unexpected time but be ready it's going to happen and when it happens it will have happened forever our lord we just sang a song a few minutes ago Break thou the bread of life. And we asked that we would see you beyond the sacred page. I seek thee, Lord. My spirit pants for thee, O living word. Lord, we just got some information. The, our habit 
because we learned it in school, is to close our books, close our notebooks, and then go and just go do what we purpose to do. We, don't, we ask that that not happen. We ask that what your Holy Spirit just showed us will make a difference in the choices that we make. We will choose to stay awake when we are, when our hands are hanging down, when we're tired, that yes, we will rest in you, but we will not go to sleep. We will stay on the alert, looking for your coming, tuning our ears to hear that sound of the trumpet, which is your voice calling us into your presence. It's going to happen. And I'm asking for myself and every other person in this room that you will enable us to walk in that expectation and that it will make a difference in our moral choices and it will make a difference in our life plan choices. That we will ask you for your direction and the steps that we are to take with an understanding that you could come at any moment We ask for that divine power to walk in the truth that you, God the Holy Spirit, just, just put before us. We ask this of you, good King Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.